now it's time for Rod and Real Radio with your hosts, Hop Along John Cassidy, fresh and saltwater expert angler Stan Vanderberg, and all-around outdoors fishing and hunting enthusiast Wendy Toshihara. Rod and Real Radio brought to you by El Cajon Ford at Broadway and Main or online at ElCajonFord.com. Whether it's time for a new or used car or truck or you need to take advantage of San Diego's best quick lane for service with genuine Ford parts, brand name tires at competitive prices, remember nobody beats El Cajon Ford. We have some fantastic guests and reports lined up for you this evening, so sit back, relax, and get ready for the fastest two hours in radio. It's all right here, right now, on Rod and Reel Radio, the best stop on your radio dial for all the information you need for fishing opportunities all over the United States. Now here's your host, Hop Along, John Cassidy. Thank you, Mark Larson, and good evening, everyone. Welcome to another Sunday edition of Rod and Reel Radio. I am indeed your underfished host, Hopalong John Cassidy, and it is a pleasure to welcome you to the this evening's show. Stan and Wendy are off tonight, but I think we have a great show still lined up for you tonight. This past week, I've been in Tennessee and Georgia, and I think I've picked up some interviews that you're going to really enjoy listening to. We've got Mike Iaconelli with us, pro bass angler. He's going to talk a little bit about his career, fishing the Bassmaster Classic, and his thoughts about fishing, major league fishing. And then we're going to go down to Dayton, Tennessee, and we're going to be with Mayor Gary Llewellyn and the Chief of Economic Development for Dayton City. We're going to speak with Dennis Tomlin, and we're going to talk about what bass fishing has done to change the complexion of that community. It's a fantastic story. I think you're going to want to hear all about it. There's a couple of other surprises that are going to be in store for you tonight. But right now, we ask you to just sit back and relax and listen to the next few minutes of Rod and Reel Radio. I'll be back just before the show ends. All right, Ben, take it away. Hey, we want to welcome you back to Rod and Reel Radio. Hey, I happen to be in Dayton, Tennessee. A couple of years ago, we interviewed the mayor of Dayton, Tennessee, Gary Allen, and we were talking about the economic development of the city, and especially the economic development as it pertained to bringing bass fishing as an industry to his city. And I'm with Mary Allen right now, and Mayor, thanks a lot for being on Rod and Reel Radio. John, I appreciate you coming back and taking the time, and, and it's, it's, it's been a good five years, two years since I talked to you last, and we'll bring you up to speed, but uh, thank you for coming back and giving us the opportunity again. You had this vision, and I know there's a lot of aspects to being the mayor of a, a city like this, but you were looking for some way to bring industry to your city, and when people think of industry, maybe they think of smokestacks or big factories. But tourism is a big industry, too. And you said you have a tremendous resource that's available but was underutilized when you came into office, and that's fishing. Tell us about what your vision was and how this has evolved into something positive for your city. It has, and and I've lived here all my life, and I, I was an avid fisherman for years, did a lot of tournament fishing, that sort of thing. And when I got into politics, I saw it as a resource uh, to bring funds in, quick funds that, you know, normally a, a factory comes in, it's, it's over a long period of time. But 
I went to the council when I got elected, and I said, if you'll just go along with me, I said, let's tear this old junky building down. We built a nice new facility. We've worked with TVA to get in some new ramps, et cetera, and uh, fishing has just exploded. Uh, our, our lake is number two in the country at this point. We're, we're thankful for TWRA for stocking and doing what they've done, but uh, it, it's at an all-time high right now. Okay, the, the benefits of organized fishing, coming to a town like Dayton where they, I don't know, they hadn't been before. What were some of the benefits they actually brought to the city by bringing organized events here? Well, it brought in dollars, but since you've been here two years ago, we've got two new motels with a third on the way and and different eateries have popped up. And it's just a great income because when they come to town, a lot of these fishermen are professional fishermen that they're not worried about saving a nickel on a gallon of gas, et cetera. And so the, the funds that funnel in, and we've been able to take those funds and, and, and put them back into the community and grow and, and do things and, and, and improve our facility as we go along. Yeah. Let's bring in now, Mayor, the uh, Director of Economic Development for Ray County here and the uh, city of Dayton. Uh, we want to bring uh, Dennis... Uh, uh, Tumlin on with us, and Dennis, welcome to Rod Real Radio. Thanks for having me on, John. Now, as Director of Economic Development, tell us, when it came to fishing, what your role was to uh, increase this activity in Dayton. When when Mayor got elected, he, he started, uh, he had this vision of doing something different, something new. Uh, he brought me on five years ago. I had a background in sales and marketing and, and Mayor and I sat down, we shared a common vision of, of what the lake could become. I had a little background in my corporate days at Coca-Cola, uh, dealt a lot with corporate side of fishing and professional fishing. Uh, so I brought uh, a Rolodex of contacts and Mayor and I started talking about how to use the lake as a resource and we felt like it was possible, but the infrastructure was lacking. Mayor did a great job going to his council, building the ramps and the new building. You can't be a world-class destination if you have 1950s facilities. And uh, so Mayor was, was critical in, in getting the ne- necessary funds to improve our infrastructure where we could then begin hosting over 10,000 visitors per year. Well, not only that, obviously when fishing came here, revenues increased, not only the tax base, but people staying in motels, people staying in restaurants, supporting other activities in this area. But then, as Mayor, as you said, the revenue base increased quickly you had discretionary income that you could start looking out and spending in other areas but then state agencies you could go to them and you can go hey this is our program uh this is what we want to do how can you help us out and you guys did a tremendous job in doing that that's right so we were able to capture that tax collection data i call i call this tourism industry it it, it generates the tax trifecta the first tax it generates quickly is your sales and lodging tax. So when someone comes and stays with you, it generates sales and lodging tax. We were, we were able to track those increases and share those best practices back with state partners when we were seeking grants and, and improvements to our facilities, showing them that if they come, they will generate results. And we were able to show those results very easily with documented tax returns. And then the third tax that comes will be property tax. If you do it well enough, long enough, you will eventually see brick and mortar show up, as we saw with new hotels, new restaurants. We have five new restaurants that have popped up as a result, and as Mayor mentioned, at least three new hotels, adding uh, significant capacity to our uh, to our visitors. Right. You know, uh, I am just amazed. Have you been contacted 
by other entities outside of the state saying, you know, we kind of like this template. We, we are interested in what you're doing. We don't necessarily know the, the pathway that we should be following. Uh, is, can you give us uh, some guidance here? Uh, uh, have people been contacting you? Great question. We were featured on CBS Morning News about two years ago. The, um, um, the story got out. It was published in American Airlines Magazine by a freelance writer. Uh, CBS News saw the, the article, came and did a, a really nice story on us. After that story ran, uh, I have been able to travel, uh, have been invited to New York, a community on the St. Lawrence River, to share our story, to help give them the template. Um, and they have since then invested, in, and they're bringing in their first FLW tournament later this year as a result of what they saw us do. I've also been to Hiawassee, Georgia, shared with their uh, local governments about the template that we used. Um, they later became home of the Toyota Bassmaster Angler of the Year on the Elite Series this past year as a result of what they saw Dayton do. And just a few weeks ago, I was in LaGrange, Georgia, speaking to the guys around West Point Lake, uh, looking to improve their facilities. And we're, we're givers here. We're, we, we don't have a secret. We have a really good blueprint that we share. And uh, typically, they'll call and pay for some travel and transportation to help us come and tell our story. Now, guys, uh, we've talked about, uh, you know, facilities here. And when you first started out, I know there are things that you wanted to do. You wanted to bring big tournaments here. You wanted to bring a lot of people here. But you, you go over and you look at your facilities and you go, how are we going to accommodate these people? So did you have to go to state and or federal agencies and ask them for help? And if so, how did that work out for you? So we started, our first foray was uh, we were going to do some improvements on our on our own. The city, uh, Mayor Lou Allen said, let's, let's look at these improvements. We went to bid on a couple of improvements, and it came back with a pretty hefty price tag, surprisingly higher than what we thought it would be for those improvements. Mayor uh, asked me to chase some grants and did not want to spend the local taxpayer dollars on it, and he said there's got to be some grants out there. We began chasing grants in 2014, federal and state grants, and TVA Grants, which is our local power provider. Um, our Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency have grants. And we began chasing every single possible grant, telling our success story tied to finances. And we have landed, um, and probably in the neighborhood, the federal grant was over 400000 We have probably, on that particular facility alone, over $500,000 worth of grants. Wow. Mayor, uh, if I can get back to you, we, uh, we talked about, Dennis talked about the increase in uh, tax revenues. Uh, what did that mean to the city of Dayton with this increase in tax revenues when really you didn't have to spend a lot of money in order to see it come in? Well, we we do watch it. I watch it on a monthly basis. And when they, when, the, when the big tournament started coming in, uh, it was it was a big impact each month, and it did take. Now there's a fee, you know, when these when the tournaments come into town, they'll ask the bigger tournaments ask for a fee. So we're able to reinvest our earned money from the past tournaments into the next, et cetera. So it just keeps us from the locals having to spend tax dollars to bring them in when we can use earned dollars to bring them in. All right, and you know one of the things we talked about, and we didn't want to talk about negatives, but. Obviously, when you have a great number of fishermen from out of the area come in, they use the resources, they use the launch ramps, the hotels. Sometimes the, the locals are going, holy Christopher, what about us? Uh, you know, these are our facilities too. But 
with the uh, uh, increase in revenues that you've been able to see, you've been able to help the locals out so that they are not as severely impacted when you've got big events coming into town. And tell us how you did that. We've done a couple of things. So because we have added um, pressure on our, our main public ramps, we've been able to take some revenues and go out to some local ramps, improve those facilities for the locals' access. We also, uh, because of uh, you talking about negatives or negative perception, uh, when it gets really hot in the summertime here, um, we, go to, we ask every per- tournament to go to a three-fish limit. This is a self-regulated legally by the state. They could have 10 bass in the live well if they came in, and their legal limit would be 10. And we self-regulate these tournaments that come in during the, the month of July and August, the hot months. Um, we, we, they self-regulate to a three-fish limit to, to reduce fish mortality uh, and increase the, um, uh, protect the resource. And that's a self-regulated thing that we do in those hot months. And, and we don't really recruit tournaments during those hot months. There's a couple that will come in and they go to a three fish limit. So we do our best to manage the resource. And uh, I think at heart, we're really conservationists, but there is a true blend between economic development and conservation. And and you can find a happy medium there. All right. And and Mayor, when it comes to uh, satisfying your local population here that are fishermen that go, oh, you've got a big tournament coming in. I'm not going to be able to fish that weekend. I'm not going to be able to get near the facility because of the fact that you've had increase of revenues from those people, you've been able to develop some other facilities for the locals that uh, were not really there available to them before. So they're benefiting too. They are, and as Dennis said in the past, we we have gone to the what he calls the backdoor outlying ramps and beef them up and re-pour new concrete and, and, and furnish places for the locals that not necessarily the guests would know about. We actually have a single route by the boat dock that we built just for the locals to use, which is just adjacent to uh, the crowded area. Uh, one of the things that I've pointed out to some of the naysayers that you know c- complain about how busy it is on the weekend, I pointed out to them, I said, we're bringing fish from miles away. Our lake is a long, narrow lake, and so a lot of the fish come from 40 miles south of us, and I said, I'm stalking your creek. I'm stalking your area. So Monday morning, you can go out and re-catch these fish. And they go, huh, I hadn't thought about it like that. So, uh, you know, I've I, I, I fished since the early 70s when uh, the limit was 20. And a good tournament was 20 pounds, 21-pound fish. And if you caught a five-pounder, it was a monster. A five-pounder now is a keeper. I mean, it's taking five fish at weight. 25 to 40 pounds to catch the average to win the average tournament now so everybody's starting to come on board you know you're not going to make everyone happy but uh, we do the best we can so when you look at all this uh, activity that is on the lake that comes out of Dayton and then obviously there are other areas around Lake Chickamauga where they have big tournaments too but the impact on the the resource itself it seems like with the cooperation of your local uh, state and wildlife uh, facility and the conservation of the fishermen, that the fishing on the lake is actually improving much rather than deteriorating. Is is that a correct assumption? It, it is improving, and um, their krill studies are showing zero negative impact based on the pressure that we've seen. They, they're monitoring it uh, with krill studies and shocking studies, and uh, their data does not back up any negative impacts from the uh, from the pressure. So you're getting a lot of tournaments over here, but 
you know, you're in the tourism business too. Mm -hmm. And Dennis, you were telling me that there are people that casually would come through Dayton and maybe think about fishing. And then all of us, because they were going to another destination. And now all of a sudden they've had an eye-opening experience with their experience here in Dayton. Tell us a little bit about the story of one group of individuals that was headed down to Florida. So we like to uh, go by, I like to go check on visitors periodically and I look for out-of-state tags and, and I ran into a group from Indiana over there recently and, and um, I, a lot of times I'll quiz them and ask them, you know, what brought them to town? Why are they here? Um, did, did they see our advertisement or what brought them here? And I stopped and quizzed this one group. I thought they were here pre-fishing for a tournament maybe. And it just wound up being four family members. It was a dad and a couple of sons and maybe a cousin from Indiana that had uh, typically taken their trip south of here. And uh, they decided to stop short. We're a shorter drive from Indiana than the other destination. And uh, they stopped short. It was their first day on the lake. They'd spent two and a half hours on the lake. And I started quizzing them. And the guy jumped out of the boat excited. And I told him who I was and what I did. And he said, oh, I have to show you. He said, I've been here on this lake two and a half hours. It's our first afternoon. We couldn't wait to get our boat launched. And we ran out, just just hit a random spot. And he said, I got to show you this this 11 and a half pounder that I caught. And they had another one about nine and a half um, that they had caught the same afternoon. He showed me the pictures. And they uh, they both said, the, 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 the entire group said, we'll never go to that destination south of here again, that, that we will continue to come here. They had been going to that place for 20 years straight. It was a family uh, tradition. And uh, he said, uh, we're, we're changing that family tradition. We're now coming here. Hey, guys, we've got to take a break right now. Can ask you to stay aboard with us for a little bit longer and we talk a little bit about this issue? Hey, you're listening to Rod and Reel Radio on AM540 or at rodandreelradio.com. Hey, I am with Mayor Gary Llewellyn from uh, Dayton, Tennessee, along with the Director of Economic Development for the city of Dayton and the county, uh, Ray County, Mr. D uh, Dennis Tomlin. We're going to take a break, but we'll be back after these messages. You can count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows trucks, no matter what you're hauling or towing, for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert. Now get special savings on every F-Series truck in stock, 150s, 250s, 350s, at El Cajon Ford. We have commercial trucks, too, including the all-new Transit Connect. Finally, a commercial van with great mileage, helping your business get moving again. El Cajon Ford, worth the short drive from anywhere in Southern California, Broadway and East Main at El Cajon, or online anytime, anywhere at ElCajonFord.com. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel specialty heat treater to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. The Gamakatsu sharpening process is the most modern in the world and results in a perfectly conical point that is unequaled in sharpness. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing, drop shot, extra wide gap, worm hooks, finesse wide gap, and a lot more. Gamakatsu has a hook for whatever style of fishing you want to do. Don't waste your time on a cheap hook. Ask for Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. 
I can't wait to spend some quality time with my son fishing this year, teaching him about casting, how to choose bait, set the hook, and how to be safe on the water by always wearing a life jacket. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Angler's Arsenal is the serious angler's first choice for hand-poured plastics. McCoy Line, Spro Products, Gamakatsu Hooks, G. Loomis Fishing Rods, Shimano Products, Ovid Reels, and just about anything you hear advertised on Rod and Reel Radio. Go to anglersarsenal.com and visit our online tackle store. See the huge selection of Western Plastics hand-poured baits, all at anglersarsenal.com. Angler's Arsenal Tackle Store is conveniently located in La Mesa, just off Interstate 8. Give us a call at 1-800-428-8730. Quantum Fishing's gone and done it again for you with a brand new redesigned Smoke PT Reel Series. Everything from your spinning reels all the way to your bait casters, the PTA design has the new PTXA frame. Lighter, stronger, bone crushing drag. Quantum Fishing, we are performance tuned. Check them out at Angler's Arsenal in La Mesa or anglersarsenal.com or give us a call at 619 466 8355. And welcome back to Rod and Real Radio. Hey, I am with Mayor Gary Llewellyn from uh, Dayton, Tennessee, and along with us is Dennis Tomlin. He is the Economic Development Director for Ray County and the City of Dayton. And we've been talking a little bit about the success that the city has seen through the increase of revenues of, of bringing bass fishing in, not only when it comes to the tax base, but also the ability to produce new facilities. And Mayor Llewellyn, I want to ask you, uh, we're in Tennessee. I, I know that your winters are not really severe, but you can have bad winters. And bass fishing is kind of a seasonal thing, nine months out of the year. You saw an opportunity, though, that what can we do to bring these big tournaments to Dayton on a 365-day plan. And because I know you were, you, the city is interested, they're seeing the revenue coming in during the summer, but we'd like to see this as more of a continuous revenue stream. Can, can you tell us a little bit about what your vision was and what you have done now to make this a 365-day happening in Dayton? Yes, sir, John, thank you. What what we see is we look at mistakes that are happening and we try to figure out how to correct them. So what we have is an issue of getting boats in and out of our harbor uh, in the wintertime, which is really the best fishing because the fish can't hide into the banks and things like they do. Uh, the avid fishermen catch more fish in, the, in those three or four months than they do in the summertime. So we have a, 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 a dredging uh, project that we're fixing to do that uh, I'll turn over to Dennis to explain but we're going to dredge the harbor out as soon as the water drops we have about a six foot fluctuation and then we'll be able to get boats in and out 12 months out of the year we actually have big tournaments that have asked to come in November December January and February where we do have mild winters and they've asked to come in but we can't facilitate getting them in and out of the harbor so we've taken care of another problem that should open up uh, another 30% of revenue when we really need it, when the motels are emptier in the wintertime, the facilities need to sell food and gas and that sort of thing. So I'm really excited about what we're going to do uh, with the dredging project. So Dennis, uh, going to you, the the problem was not necessarily weather since uh, uh, Lake Chickamauga here is a TVA lake. 
that it is subject to uh, water levels in, in the winter that wouldn't allow you to really facilitate large tournaments coming to Dayton because the water level would be so low. And they lowered the, uh, the water levels for anticipation of, of storms and, and runoff. Or Tell us a little bit about the dynamics of that. Yeah, so Tennessee Valley's um, Tennessee Valley Authority's purpose is, is one of their purposes is flood control. So in the wintertime, when you expect uh, heavier winter rains and spring rains especially, they, they lower this lake six feet to be able to hold back the flood waters that typically would overtake a city such as Chattanooga or Huntsville, Alabama, that's set along the Tennessee River. And so we, we lose water in the, in, in the wintertime um, in what I'll call winter is about November till about April the April 15th is when we lose water. And um, so we, we lost the ability to host large tournaments during some of our best fishing season, which is spring and uh, that late fall. And uh, based on the success story we had, Mayor Lou Allen challenged me to go out and look for some grant opportunities. And we were able to go out and tell our success story and, and to the Appalachian Regional Commission, which is a federal agency and their purpose is for economic development in the uh, Appalachian region. And we were able to show them how uh, anticipated, as Mayor mentioned, 30% potential increase in revenues by opening up those extra months of fishing uh, with a simple harbor dredge project, which has uh, already been, it has been bid and awarded, and will start here in the month of November 2018 um, to make room for our first tournament February 2nd of 2019 this year. So, you know, in encapsulating it, the problem is not the entire lake level going down where it's not fishable. The uh, uh, the problem was more like a lot of the marinas that were in shallower areas, like where Dayton is, you just couldn't get boats in the water because of the lower level. And now with uh, this dredging and this money that uh, is going to be spent by the TVA, you're going to be able to maybe extend launch ramps and increase facilities. So at these wa low water levels, you'll still be able to run your events like you would during high water times. Exactly right. All right. And again, what is that meaning? How much, Mayor, how much more revenue do you believe that's going to bring to the city if you can do a 365-day program as opposed to just a nine-month program? Well, I think it'll up at least the 25%, and we're doing it without any more cost to us. I mean, it's like, you know, it's returnable expenditure. That's what I preach every day, returnable expenditure. When we invest this money into these tournaments and anything we do, it's going to come back to us, and it's going to come back quickly. So by opening this up, it's, it's we're, we already have our facility. We have a setup. We the, we work with the sheriff's department to unload these people. When you come to our tournaments, the biggest fear that I had when I when I used to fish tournaments was showing up at a lake and not knowing where to park, where the ramp is. We have people sitting there guiding you to the ramp. Park right beside this and right beside that one. We've had people have flat tires that never knew they had a flat tire because we had people jack it up, take their tire off, fix it, and bring it back. But, but uh, really excited about this winter because, like I say, it's the best fishing. Uh, if you endure the cold weather, et cetera. But uh, uh, I'm excited about it. I think we'll get two, at least two big tournaments a year in the wintertime that we wouldn't normally get. Just looking at the fishing in general and the influx of individuals that are coming into this town, has, the, has this been a, a positive experience for Dayton? Uh, 
Have there been other problems that have been taken care of, or has this been really the type of industry that uh, you'd, you'd wish on any town anywhere in the United States? This is a great industry, and I, and I always I always like to start with this statement that change is typically hard for every community I've ever been in. Uh, we're a small town of 7,100 folks, uh, 7,100 population in the city of Dayton. We only have 27,000 in our county. So we were looking for an opportunity, and tourism was an opportunity for us. But in every town in America, I think anytime you try something different, change is always hard for people. They, 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 it's just human nature to resist change. So when we first started down the road, there, there was uh, resistance. And as we began to do it and, and results started to show up and the new restaurants began to pop up and the new hotels began to pop up because of the tourism, the, the, the locals warmed up to it. So um, the cash flow that Mayor has talked about, the cash flow allowed the city to invest in other things such as parks, such as trails. Uh, they invested into an industrial a site that has landed a very large factory that had the cash flow not been strong from the tourism industry, they may not have invested into that industrial site where the new where the new factory has located. But it it, it all leads back to tourism and cash flow, and um, it, it has all been positive. There, there there has been very little negative out of our tourism industry. Well, we're looking at uh, you know the end of 2018. The getting a 2019. Are you at your goal right now when it comes to uh, bringing fishing to Dayton as a, as a tourist event, or is just just a plateau to go to another step? What What's your vision on where that's all leading to? I, I smile as you ask that question. 2019 is going to be our biggest year yet significantly. So we began this vision. We really began our first event in 2013. We had a great year in 2014. Here we are going into 2019, and we're going to have our biggest season yet. And I'm basing that on the number of events that I have pre-booked, the number of visitors that are pre-booked. Um, because of that demand, another hotel is under construction. And um, 2019 is going to be a banner year. And and partially because of that harbor dredge that's going to be, uh, we're going to be able to start our season in February in 2019 instead of waiting to April. So this is something that's going to be really pretty immediate and it's going to get done, uh, you know, so that you can get this program going. We're, 2019 is going to be a great year for the city of Dayton and Ray County for tax collections and lodging tax, property tax, and sales tax. Mayor uh, Llewellyn, one of the problems that you said you thought you had when all these fishermen were coming in, you, you needed hotels that's happening right now but you were looking for some type of chain restaurants to come in so you can feed these people how how are you keeping up with the facilities to accommodate the fishermen here well we've been fortunate that we haven't picked up a major uh, chain uh, but we have a local investor that's it's, there's been several nice uh, eateries uh, built uh, one of the things that I'm fighting with now is when you go to some, and I can't mention any names, but they want you to have 25,000 population within a five-mile area to, to, to come to your, to your town. And what I'm showing them is like at one of the intersections, there's 28,000 cars a day going under it. And so although they don't live here, we have, we have the capability of supporting uh, a major franchise of some nature. You know, we have the McDonald's, the Hardee's, and things like that, but... 
you know, we're looking toward, you know, an Applebee's or Ruby Tuesdays or something like that that require uh, a more population. So we don't have the population, as Dennis said, with 7,100, but we have thousands of people a day that are coming through, just like the fishermen, uh, different things and, and that sort of thing. Uh, don't really want to go into numbers, but just to kind of hit on that in the last five years, with just the motels we had, our motel hotel tax has doubled. So some of it's natural growth and some of it's not, but it's, it's shown the need to the to the investors to build even a third uh, facility here in town to where what we were doing, and we're not selfish. We don't mind people going to the surrounding towns and staying, but it's inconvenient for the fishermen to drive 30 miles back here early in the morning. So, uh, you know, we're doing it to try to keep all the dollars in town for us, and we're not greedy. We want to uh, support everybody around us, but, you know, try to keep everything we can to help our local facility. Dennis, I know there's a lot of people going to be listening to this broadcast going, I've got to see what this is all about. Um, there are sites that you have set up that uh, fishermen and organizations could go to to find out a little more about Dayton, the fishing opportunities, the other uh, support that there is for the fishing industry here when they do come. Tell us how people or organizations can access that information. There's two ways to keep up with us, to track us. Um, go to Fish Dayton on Facebook, and we keep, uh, we keep an active page, almost a daily post, and keep up with the activity on the lake and keep you really current on our Facebook page. But if you really want to dig down into what we're about and our locations, our lodging, our dining, our, uh, all the details, we have fishdayton.com as our website. So go check out the fishdayton.com website. It's mobile-friendly, really great site. Um, most tournament directors tell us it's the best site they see across the country and wish every city would duplicate it. Uh, but, yeah, follow us on social or on, uh, or on our website, fishdayton.com. All right. And uh, you've got a Facebook page, too, that you can go to. I follow that on and see what's happening with the tournaments. Mary Llewellyn, Dennis, I can't thank you enough for spending some time to be with us and tell us about the success of Dayton. I, I wish we could take this and get officials in other parts of the country that are as enlightened to you that want to bring this type of industry to their town. They've got the facilities, but it seems like they're more interested in the, when you talk about industry, about getting those large factories there or doing something else, and they overlook something that's right under their nose. You had Lake Chickamauga here for I don't know how long, but you finally had someone come along to recognize the potential of turning this into a, a really clean revenue producer for your city and county. And I want to thank you very much for spending the time to be with us. Thanks for having us. And anybody who wants to uh, move to East Tennessee, we'd be happy to talk to you about that also. <laughs> All right. Now, now, Mayor Dayton, you said that uh, there's not a lot of big chain places, but uh, you have uh, indicated to me that after this interview, we're going to go out and we're going to get ourselves a little barbecue and that it'll be the best barbecue anywhere in Tennessee. And I'm going to take you up on that. So let's finish up this interview and have our way with that new barbecue place, okay? Absolutely. I, you, you'll enjoy it. It's very good. <laughs> All right. You. Mayor uh, Gary Llewellyn from uh, the mayor of Dayton, Tennessee, along with Dennis Tom. Uh, Tomlin, he's the economic development uh, 
uh, head of economic development for Ray County and the city of Dayton. Guys, thanks for being with us. Much success. And let us come back again to see how you've progressed with your plans here. Thank you very much. There's nothing more peaceful than fishing. Just me, my pole, and some bait. Oh, and my life jacket, of course. I like fish, but I don't want to end up at the bottom of the water with them. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. If you're serious about your fishing, choosing the right tackle is one of the most important decisions you'll ever make. Iserline makes premium fishing lines including monofilament, Dacron, Spectra, fluorocarbon, battle-tested harnesses, and top angler-tested Iserline tools and accessories. Iserline premium fishing products are created to provide you with the ultimate in strength, dependability, durability, high abrasion resistance, low stretch, and high quality. All Iserline products are 100% guaranteed against manufacturing defects. You just can't buy better value. Iserline will replace or repair at their option. No questions asked if you're not pleased with any of their products. Catch what you've been missing. Quality guaranteed. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong, but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ring hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. Hey, welcome back to Ron Real Radio, and we want to remind you, this segment of Ron Real Radio is brought to you by the Rockley's Fish Release System. Now you can release fish back to the depth that they came from safely that are suffering from barotrauma with the Rockley's Fish Release System. Look for the Rockley's at your local tackle dealer. Well, if you recall, a couple of weeks ago, we were broadcasting live from Sevierville, Tennessee, and uh, we're actually here to attend the Pittman Creek Dealer Show. It's a big bass show out here on the East Coast. Gives us the opportunity to see some things that we don't normally see and to talk to some people that, hey, we may not normally get a chance to talk to. And we've run into one of those people here at the show, at the Berkeley booth. We've run into... Mike Iconelli. Mike Iconelli. Mike, welcome to the show, sir. It's great to be here. Thank you. Man, I don't even... I don't even know where to begin to start talking to you about. <laughs> let's uh, uh, let's talk about first of all um, BASS. Yep. Qualifying for the Bassmaster Classic. Yeah. You learned obviously from the past season. It's never an automatic. It's not. And in being left out, it's got to feel really bad. We had Dean Rojas on the show here a few weeks ago. Same way. But you've made it this year. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank Tell you. us a little bit about the road you took. To qualify for this year's classic. Yeah, uh, I tell you, you hit it on the head. Qualifying for the Classic is not an easy thing. It's never a given. Uh, and I think maybe early in my career, uh, there were a few years where I maybe took it for granted. But after missing one my sophomore year as an elite, going way back to like 2001, man, I never take it for granted. Um, and making the Classic is a measure, in my opinion, of a good season. So uh, I'm excited. I made my 20th classic this year. I've been I've been You've doing been it. Fishing that long, I've, I, can't I made it. my 20th classic, my 19th consecutive classic this year. So I'm really proud of both of those facts. Um, and it was a good year. You know, I, I think a good year, like I said, you make the classic, you have good finishes. That's a measure of a good season. 
a great season's when you win one, and that was missing this year for me. For from the elites uh, was a win, but you know, I I think I would say about halfway through the season, starting in June at the Sabine River, I got on uh, what you call a little roll, and you hear guys talk about being in being in the zone, guys being on a roll, guys having a hot hand, whatever you want to call it. But there is something to that in fishing. And when you start making good decisions and you have a good event, you can sort of roll it over to the next one. And that happened starting about June for me, and I was able to keep that going all the way through to the AOI Championship, which was a few weeks ago at Lake Chatoog, and uh, qualified for my 20th Classic and, and ended up 17th in points. So it was a good year. Well, congratulations. Thank you. 2019 Bassmaster Classic. Is it going to be on a lake you fished before, or is it going to be really a new lake? It's a new lake from the perspective of a lake I've never fished before. And uh, everyone already knows it's going to be right here in Knoxville, Tennessee. It's going to be on um, a chain of lakes called Loudon Teleco. It's actually almost sort of two separate reservoirs connected by a canal. Um, really interesting fishery in that it's uh, got three species on the, on the menu, largemouth, smallmouth and spotted bass are all in, are, are in both of these lakes um and actually my experience on loud and teleco comes from commentating not fishing but on on this chain of lakes about 15 years ago i commentated for the bass federation nationals which is sort of the world championship for amateur fishermen and i was a commentator for bass masters and i got to watch these guys fish this you know really big big chain of lakes and um i learned a little bit from that you know you you can learn a lot as an observer you don't always have to be fishing so i'll take a little bit of that experience from 15 years ago i'm doing a lot of online internet research which i always do i've already got three separate paper map sources for the lake that i've been looking at already and about the second week of december i'm going to do a five full five days of scouting on on the lakes um not fishing but scouting and between those three things you know i'll go into the tournament next march with uh you know with some experience and and at least a game plan for what i want to do all right well you know we are sitting here in front of the berkeley booth and i've got to ask you a vast array of lures needless to say (laughs) but i know you have to have your favorite what are some of your go-to baits when it really gets to be clutch time yeah i mean you know i I, as literally as we're talking i'm looking behind you and i get the vision of all these different shapes (laughs) it's crazy man uh there's actually so many it's intimidating it almost feels intimidating um but you know i I gotta tell you for me it's staple shapes you know even in today's age when you think you know, it's 20 years later. What what are your favorite shapes? They're still pretty staple shapes for me. The good old straight tail worm is still at the top of the list for me. Uh, uh, a shaky style worm, you know. Um, Berkeley's version is called a bottom hopper. And, uh, you know, that thing on a shaky head, on a drop shot, on a split shot rig, on a dart head, on a Carolina rig. I mean, there's so many ways you could rig it. Out of all these shapes, I'm looking at a hundred of them. Give me the good old six and a half inch straight tail worm, and that's probably my number one shape of all time. Now, in saying that, you do need to keep up with the times. And uh, one of the things that Berkeley does really well 
is they help design new new products, new shapes, new technologies. I know you've heard a lot about the Maxent. Uh, you know, Berkeley's really good at staying innovative, and. I have a couple of things up my sleeve coming that you'll see in at ICAST in 2019. That's new shapes for Berkeley. Well, we're really looking forward to that. You know, you say you're qualifying for your 20th Bassmaster Classic. Over that stretch in time, you know, God, you let people look at you, and now you're one of the old men of the Classic. You got the, the young guys coming up like you came up 20 years ago. Yeah. But has the fishing changed, or has your style changed in that time are you still doing a lot of things you were doing 20 years ago i that's a great question i i would say it's 50 50 i think um 50 of the time and you need to stick with what has worked for you in the past and you know for me a staple's always been power fishing and using finesse fishing sort of as my backup to that that's that's who i am as a fisherman so that hasn't changed but the other 50 percent, and you mentioned you know 20 years later, all these young guns, you, you, you throw around names like Lucas and Polinick and Josh Bertrand and all these guys, uh, you know, you got to be willing to try new techniques. you got to be willing to adapt, um, you know, things like uh, Nico rigging, things like spy baiting that were foreign to me up to a few years ago. You have to learn. You have to force yourself to learn them. Even using a graph, uh, you, you know, uh, a sonar graph, uh, you know, that stuff to me 15 years ago wasn't as important as it is now. Uh, side imaging, uh, sound technology, the flogger, you know, all these things that are new to me, I, you can't ignore them. you got to say, this is something I don't know. This is something I'm not good at. And you have to, you have to learn how to do it and put it in your book if you want to compete with these guys. There's some people saying that the imaging has actually gone too far and maybe we better cut back on it and go back to the basic instincts that yeah. the fishermen have, trying to figure out what's happening by reading the conditions. Do, yeah. a, do a Rick Clun wow. type of thing and uh, like get to, very cerebral about it. I'd like to see that. You know, I'd like to see a, a standalone event. Uh, Bass, MLF, FLW, whoever wants to hold it. I'd like to see a standalone event where they put us back in, say, the boats of the early 80s, you know, 150s, uh, a paper graph or a flasher. I'd, I'd love that. I think that'd make for a great tournament. But, you know, as long as these new technologies are legal, you have to learn them. Because if you don't, you get left behind. Really? So even with a run-and-gun type of a style where you're sitting there, you're looking for reaction fish, you're beating the bank and everything like that, you electronics still, are still important. You still, I think everything from uh, down imaging, side imaging, 2D, sound, all these new technologies, it's important. Now, getting back to what you said, there is something to be said about a guy that came up and learned before these technologies, before GPS. Uh, you know, I, I, I remember my first... Uh, Redman tournaments, my first federation tournaments, there was no GPS yet. And I can remember my uncle and my grandfather teaching me triangulate, you know, you have to triangulate a spot on the bank. I remember this stuff. So, you know, that gives you a little something that the young guys don't have, but you still got to learn that technology or you're, or you're in trouble. And still, still really read the conditions. 
Read the conditions. What the weather's yeah. like. What's the barometer like? Uh, things like that. Which way the wind's going? I mean, yeah, that's still, uh, I'm sure, a big part of it. It's a big part of it, and that's that's part of that natural ability, that uh, that instinct that I think you have to have to some level to be able to to be a top touring pro. Uh, you know, Justin Lucas is a good example. You know, his success isn't just hinged on his his use of technology. Justin Lucas is a young kid that has a great natural ability and a natural sense to make those changes based on the conditions. So, so yeah, you still have to have that. I think if you don't have that, even with the best technology in the world, you won't catch them. So you have to have a little bit of that natural ability. You all have to have a natural ability, unlike a putz like me that keeps on trying to drive a round peg through a square hole. <laughs> I do that still, sir. So. I do that too, sir. So. Oh, man. Uh, you know, so you got the Bassmaster Classic coming up. I know there's a lot of restrictions when it comes to getting closer and closer to day. Yeah. What you can, you can't do. Uh, you can't be like the average fisherman that walks into the tackle store there and go, hey, no. what are they biting on no. there today? No, in fact, uh, the, the, the off-limits rules have gotten uh, stiffer, which is, I, I think it's great. I think it even, evens out the playing field. But literally, as soon as they announced where the Classic was going to be, and I think that goes back to the summer, once that was announced, we can no longer solicit information from somebody. Um, and, and again, that evens out the playing field. And even with pre-practice, even with that scouting period, I have to do it before January 1st where it cuts off. So, you know, I, I, I like those restrictions. I like those rules um, just because, again, it evens out the playing field a little bit. Uh, and that's, that's what we all want. You know, you know, a lot of people look at uh, Pro Angler and they see all the glamour part of mm. it when you're, you're on stage and you're lifting up the fish mm. and the cameras are rolling yeah. and the sound's going and everything else like that Ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of work that goes on before you get there but when you do finally get there share with us a little bit about the way you feel you're 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 waiting outside the arena you're sitting in your boat you know you got a good bag of fish you don't know exactly where you stand but they're kind of positioning you that you get you get farther and farther to being the last one to weigh yeah. in, and you go, hey, maybe something's going. Yeah. Tell us, though, about that feeling when you, you're you just sitting there in all that quiet, and then you're rolled into arena, and you've got 25,000 people yeah, it's crazy. that yeah. start screaming and yelling, I like Ike. It's, am- it's amazing. I mean, you know, you, you mentioned a couple things there. One is, you know, it's a lot of hard work. Uh, I've, I've been working really, really hard at it since I was literally a teenager. N- not joking. Since I was 17 or 18 years old and I started this dream, it's been a lot of hard work. But those moments that you just mentioned, they're the moments that make it all worth it. You know, for me, when I look back uh, at some of that, those things, uh, Every classic, it, it never gets old. You know, the, pulling in the arena, the hair stand up on your arms. And and when I was a kid looking at, you know, Rick Clun and George Cochran and Larry Nixon and these guys watching them on TV come in, now I'm doing it. it it's the most surreal thing ever. Um, but even at events like this, we're at a, this is what I would call a smaller event here, and I'm getting to meet great people and great fans, fans that go out of their way to follow me. That's a pretty special thing, and, and uh, you know, it's it's something I don't take for granted. It's actually what keeps me going, you know. Been doing it this long, 
it's not necessarily the tournament wins that keep me going. It's the fans and it's moments like what you talked about, you know, gone into those cheers. And, man, that's the stuff that keeps you going. My, we're speaking with Mike Iaconelli. Mike, we got to take a break right now. Can you stick around for a little bit longer and we can talk about some other subjects? Yes, sir, absolutely. Hey, you're listening to Ron Real Radio on AM540 or at ronreelradio.com. We've got to take a commercial break right now, but stay tuned. We'll be back after these messages. You can count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows trucks, no matter what you're hauling or towing, for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert. Now get special savings on every F-Series truck in stock, 150s, 250s, 350s, at El Cajon Ford. We have commercial trucks, too, including the all-new Transit Connect, finally a commercial van with great mileage, helping your business get moving again. El Cajon Ford, worth the short drive from anywhere in Southern California, Broadway and East Main and El Cajon, or online anytime, anywhere at ElCajonFord.com. He's not just my fishing buddy. After 30 years, he's a brother, and I'd sure hate to lose him. His bass boat's got nothing to do with it. So I make sure both of us wear a life jacket. Save the ones you love, even if they don't own a fancy boat. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Quantum Fishing's gone and done it again for you with the brand new redesigned Smoke PT Reel Series. Everything from your spinning reels all the way to your bait casters, the PTA design has the new PTXA frame. Lighter, stronger, bone-crushing drag, quantum fishing. We are performance-tuned. Check them out at Angler's Arsenal in La Mesa or anglersarsenal.com or give us a call at 619-466-8355. Welcome back to Ron Real Radio, everyone. Hey, we're spending some time in Sevierville, Tennessee with Mike Iaconelli. And, Mike, we talked a little bit about uh, uh, BASS and the upcoming Classic Let's talk a little bit about Live with Ike, and I've got to ask you, there is a video going around of you doing a little, and shall we call it, urban fishing. Tell us a little bit about that video, and really, what's it leading up to? Yeah, thank you. Uh, Yeah, you know, uh, city fishing, urban fishing is something I've done for a long time. Actually, for the first seven years of my life, I lived in uh, South Philadelphia, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and... My first fishing experiences as a kid were around city fishing, the Delaware River, the Schuylkill River, uh, streams that ran near Philadelphia. So um, city fishing has a place in my heart. You know, the other thing is I had an opportunity to do a TV project about maybe like 2007 to 2010. And uh, it was a show called City Limits Fishing where we went and explored these urban fisheries. Um, you know, flash forward to, you know, all these years later, I have another amazing opportunity in front of me to highlight urban fishing. The great thing about it for me, it, it's, it's an opportunity to help grow the sport. It's an opportunity to help get in front of people that wouldn't normally see fishing. Um, so it, I've got a brand new show on Nat Geo Wild. 
comes on every Friday, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, um, and also 10 p.m. West Coast Time. It re-airs later that night, um, and it's called Fish My City with Mike Iaconelli. And we're going to cities all over, not just the U.S., but all over the world, and we're exploring the, the fishery as a whole. So it, it's a pretty neat deal because uh, New York was our first show, and we got to catch three different unique bucket list species in New York City. Bluefish, stripers, and fluke, all that are caught within the city limits of New York. And it's, it's, it's real special to me. It's uh, exposing the city. It's uh, looking at a little bit of history, a little bit of culture, um, but it's really exploring fishing opportunities that, in some cases, I never knew was there. Uh, you know, I got an opportunity to go to London, England, Taipei, Taiwan this year. It's just an amazing fishing experience, you know, and it's it's almost like it's come full circle for me. When I was a kid, I city fished. That's how I started. And all these years later, I'm getting to do it on a TV project and show people how you can catch fish in the city. It's pretty pretty awesome opportunity. You probably also find that your appeal is to a lot of young people, a lot of kids, because urban fishing, this this is where they start. The yeah. local body of water yeah. that's next to where they live or the park that's close to them or mom and dad taking them out to one of the local compounds. It, it's got to start somewhere. Yeah, it's, it's a great opportunity to get in front of kids and people, new people that haven't fished before and show them that there's this fun, exciting thing called sport fishing that you can do right in the city you live in. You know, I, I can't tell you how many cities I've been to, uh, Chicago, uh, Miami, New York, L.A., where a lot of kids don't realize they can fish right there. And, uh, you know, so to be able to kind of sort of expose that is really, really amazing opportunity. And it's, it's one of the things I think everybody in the fishing industry, you can talk to any of the pros here today, we're all very conscious of growing the sport, of getting the sport in front of new people. And this, for me, is a way to do it on a bigger level than I've ever had in my life, on a bigger stage. And, you know, if, if, if more people every year want to pick up a rod and reel because watching the show, it's a good thing. I've done a good job. Let's go on the way, way back machine and talk a little bit about Mike Iaconelli as that kid. You're growing up in Philadelphia. I don't necessarily see Philadelphia as being the farm league for uh, pro bass anglers. What was the transition from going Mike Iaconelli, the recreational angler, yeah. to Mike Iaconelli, the pro? It, it, yeah. It's kind of like a rock band. Yeah. You, you <laughs> listen to them and you go, man, these guys are Johnny Come Lately's. Where'd they come from? And really, they've been beating the bushes for 15 years Forever. to get to that point in time yeah. where you could recognize them. Yeah. How about yourself? Yeah, I think we all have that story. But, you know, for me, it was falling in love with the sport of fishing early in, in my as a kid. And, you know, so that part of it is the same. And, and fishing, to me, is a puzzle, right? It's, you know, whether you're fishing for carp or catfish or bluegill or trout or largemouth bass or stripers or whatever it's you know taking these little pieces of the puzzle putting them together and you go and you try to pick a lure you switch colors you switch areas then finally you get a bite and you miss it but it's a bite and it points you in another direction and it's that puzzle and when you set the hook and you fight that fish it's you solving the puzzle but it's not complete until you land the fish 
that that story that that puzzle is why I love fishing and then the competitive side of it or the bass side of it kicked in for me in my teens I never forget I was 11 12 13 I, I, I remember catching a fish on a number it was a, a 9f uh, 9s floating minnow by Rapala and I was twitching it on the top not because I knew what I was doing but I was just kind of looking at it on top and I had like a three pounder eat it that was the fish that hooked me on bass fishing and then you know that competitive side kicked in in high school and college when I started competing locally in little club tournaments like John Boat tournaments and you know I, I think everybody has that story of, of why they started but for me it's about that puzzle it's about a little bit of that competition thrown in there and uh, for sure, you know, largemouth bass will always be a special species to me. But fishing is a much bigger picture. Sport fishing is much bigger. And that's why I'm so excited about this new show, is I'm getting to do a lot of other stuff. I know. And, Mike, you seem to have the same sense of a lot of the pros that we've talked to. Number one, dedication to the sport. Mm-hmm but love for the sport and love for any type of fishing. I remember uh, a couple of years ago at an elite event, and I think I had the opportunity to interview you there at Lake Havasu. Uh, They made the cut to the top 50, and I remember talking with Shaw Grigsby. And Shaw says, you know, if I don't make the top 50, I'm going to stick around Lake Havasu over here because I hear they have some really excellent brim fishing oh yeah biggins <laughs> i want to catch one of the you know they had just brought out uh you know an almost six pound yeah. shell cracker there and shaw wanted to be part of that if he didn't make the cut yeah and sure enough he um oh it was about a year later i had a chance to interview him and sure enough he went out and he was disappointed even though it was the biggest brim he'd ever caught was only four and a half pounds he wanted that six pound brim and i noticed that with all anglers whether it's you know, Ish Monroe with saltwater fishing mm. or, uh, you know, Shaw with going after brim or yeah. whatever it is. And like yourself, they love fishing. They have a love for it and they've dedicated yeah. themselves to do it. Yeah, you got to have that passion. I mean, if, if you know, I, I think if you look at anybody that's successful in the fishing industry from, you know, saltwater captains to pro bass tournament guys to you know, guys that work at, at these companies. Um, you have to be passionate about what you do if you want to be successful. And, and uh, you know, the great thing about fishing and the outdoors is, uh, you know, it's something that we a lot of us have loved since we were a kid. And you get to do it every day. That's a special thing, man. Not everybody can say that, you know. Well, it's got to be a passion because you look at least what you have to go through as an elite angler. You get so many, you know, days of practice. That's regimented. Then you get press day and you get this day and then you're lined up to do this and then okay then you get in the boats and line up and you got to say everyone then you got to take off and you got to come back and you got to hope you do well over two days and if you don't instead of fishing you get to go to the expo and i know you love talking to the fishermen but if there's an expo in an event you don't want to be there unless you have to be but to go through a routine like that you have to have a passion for fishing or else yeah. you fall to the wayside. you got to have a passion for it. it. It's Like I said, you know, the, between the fans and my love of the sport in general, it keeps me going. Um, I, I'm, I'll never sit here and tell you that 
I don't have bad days, that there aren't days that feel like work. I think everybody has that, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, I'm engaged in something I've loved since I was five or six years old, and that's, that's, a, that's a really magical thing. And being a professional, you have to have a mindset like a baseball player or a pitcher. You have a bad day. You have a bad outing. You yeah. have a bad tournament. Oh, yeah. You don't even make the cut. Oh, yeah. But you have an event coming up in two weeks again, and you got to be ready for that you, event. you got to get rid of it really quick. Uh, you know, my wife has instigated the – Becky has instigated the two-day rule, and I have two days that I can be mad about a bad event. And, uh, you know, and then I, you got to get over it. You really do. And, you know, for me, it's, it's part of the process of not just letting out being mad, but in those two days, I try to analyze what you did wrong. You need to take a bad event or a bad day or a bad week and look back and say, well, man, I should have did this. Uh, you know what? When that wind changed, I should have probably did this. Look at what the guys did well at and, you know, try to learn something from it. So I've got two days to get over it. I try to learn something from it and you get on to the next tournament. You know, and let's talk a little bit, too. You know, a lot of people don't realize we have Mike Iaconelli, the pro bass angler, the personality. But Mike Iaconelli is also a business. And you were talking about your wife. Most of the guys, their business is controlled by their wives. They're yeah. at home balancing the checkbook, making the reservations, yeah. make sure that you get to one point in the time. Oh, and gosh, yeah. I speak to so many pros that their wives and their family are a very important part of the program. And you're just the eye candy in the, uh, you know, up front that makes everything look yeah, good. Yeah, it's fun. I'm laughing as you're saying that because it's so, it's so true. And I know so many, so many of the guys that are my peers are in the same situation. But, uh, yeah, gosh, if, if you don't have that family support, it's a lot tougher to, to be able to do this, do it effectively. Um, you know, Becky does... A lot of stuff, including the normal tournament stuff, you know, the, the lodging, all that. Plus, she's helping me run the Ike Live podcast. She's helping me run the Bash University educational seminar. She's the head behind the Ike Foundation, getting kids involved in the sport in urban areas. I mean, all this, these other little businesses that don't run themselves. She's a big part of it. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's a family unit. We're in it together. She's as passionate about the things that I'm passionate about. And, uh, you know, the, the goal is to grow the sport. Hey, Mike, we've got to take one more break, but I still want to talk to you about a couple of other things. you got a couple of minutes that you can stay with us? Absolutely. Hey, we're going to take a break right now. We're speaking to pro bass angler Mike Iaconelli. Hey, stay tuned. We'll be back after these messages. I like rafting. I love whitewater. But I never forget that snow melt in the river can cause cold water shock. I wear a life jacket always. Anyone with me has got to do the same. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat treated to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. The Gamakatsu sharpening process is the most modern in the world and results in a perfectly conical point that is unequaled in sharpness. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing, drop shot, extra wide gap, worm hooks, finesse wide gap, and a lot more. Gamakatsu has a hook for whatever style of fishing you want to do. Don't waste your time on a cheap hook. Ask for Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. Hey everybody, this is a message for our listeners from a new Baja Magic Lodge at Cedros Island. Cedros Outdoor Adventures wants to make your dream of fishing Cedros Island a reality. Want to go after giant calicos or yellowtail with the best Cedros Island fishing organization? 
but you just don't know who to contact, then give Cedros Outdoor Adventures a call at 619-793-5419, or even better yet, log on to their informative website at cedrosoutdooradventures.com. There you can visit their trip calendar and schedule a trip that's convenient for you. Once again, the phone number is 619-793-5419 or their website of cedrosoutdooradventures.com. I got a garage full of fishing tackle, and every time I get out on the water, I realize I forgot something important. But I never forget my life jacket. I make sure my buddies wear theirs, too. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Hi, it's Tony Gwynn. Nobody treats you better. Nobody beats El Cajon Ford. Nobody beats El Hi, it's Tony Gwynn Jr. For years, my dad said it so often. Nobody beats El Cajon Ford. And nobody treats you better. And that's so true. Now I am proud to join the El Cajon Ford team because with them, it's all about family. They treat you right. You're part of our family at El Cajon Ford. Thanks, Tony. We'll see you at Broadway in East Main and ElCajonFord.com. Hey, welcome back to Rod and Reel Radio, everyone. We are speaking with pro bass angler Mike Iaconelli. Well, we've talked to Mike a little bit about fishing BASS. We've talked to him about, you know, how he fishes, his mindset. We've talked about live with Ike and, and Mike. Just that video that is going around right now, urban fishing, <laughs> you catching. I've, I've seen it done. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know, though, that uh, it could be done. What town were you in with So that? we were in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Yeah. We were in a, really, if you know Philly and, and uh, that city, we were on a street called Broad Street, which is a famous street. It's where the Mummers go down when we have the Mummers Parade. Uh, it's uh, right near, you know, not far from the Art Museum, not far from Independence Hall. And it happened to be on a block about three blocks up from City Hall in Pennsylvania. And uh, it's just one of those little little kind of side bits that a lot of people don't think about when they think of urban fishing but um you know catfish in some weird places carp in weird places uh but it's fishing it's still fishing at the end of the day and uh it's a whole new arena but i'm i'm glad people like that video we we know bass are a very rugged fish where in your estimation is absolutely the most outlandish place you've ever caught a fish most outlandish would probably be, you know, I can tell you snakeheads, which have really sort of, it's an exotic that sort of have taken over um, in, in some of the fisheries over there on the, on the East Coast. I had a tournament in, uh, on the Potomac River, and um, there was an area that the water is tidal, so it's about a three or four foot drop. And there's an area where there was a drum up on the bank, and it was actually in practice, and I just... I was like kind of half kidding when I did it and I pitched my lure into the drum which on low tide was high and dry but there was some water in there I ended up catching a two and a half pound snakehead out of the drum that was on dry <laughs> land uh, but you know those, those I think everybody has stories like that and um, you know again the neat thing is fish are hardy whether you're talking about snakeheads or catfish or bass or trout fish can adapt fish can live in a lot of places and you know, with water quality improving, especially in cities, you got a lot of opportunity in front of you that a lot of they don't they don't realize it's there. Yeah, there's a lot of places now where you can fish 
where as little as 10 or 15 years ago, you wouldn't even think about it. You wouldn't think about it. You wouldn't think about it. You know, things are cleaning up. Um, You know, some of the restrictions are being lifted and it's giving guys new fishing opportunities. All right. Hey, let's uh, approach another subject. There's, There's an old saying in fishing. You don't leave fish to go find fish. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and tell us a little bit. There's now another organization that's coming on the um, the scene. Yeah. It's Major League Fishing. Gary Klein, Boyd Duckett. Yeah. Now, you have fished Major League Fishing almost since the beginning. Yeah. yeah tell us about your experience there. Do you really enjoy the format that that they uh, present yeah major league fishing i've been there from the beginning and going on uh, seven years ago uh and, and i think it's amazing what's happening um you know the last two or three weeks have been strange in our sport but you know i'm really looking at the positives and i i think with a new league and what major league fishing's doing in the long run it's one of the best things that's ever happened in our sport there's going to be more opportunities for us as the anglers and there's going to be way more opportunities for people to look at professional fishing. And that's the big takeaway for me uh, with this whole thing. So FLW, BASS, they're not going anywhere. But it's nice to have a new circuit that's going to be able to reach new people. And, you know, you talk about the format. I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's some of the most fun I've ever had um, because I enjoy the change of, of the format. You know, uh, no practice, um, you, you know, kind of very fast rapid fishing fishing by the seat of your pants and the aspect of total weight which i really think showcases not just the fisheries but the anglers you know for a lot of years i think there was a stereotype that uh, that guy just got lucky on any given day he caught five that were five big ones and he got lucky well now that takes that out of the equation you know you've got to catch 20 or 30 or 40 in a day to compete and you're seeing the sport in a new light you know you sprinkle into that mix that this is a conservation minded league i love it you know where you're catching weighing it and releasing it immediately we're really gonna save uh, a lot of fish by doing that we're really teaching young fishermen a, a big important thing which is conservation taking care of the fish releasing the fish alive you know, for all those reasons, I think MLF is here to stay, and I think it's going to work in harmony with the other leagues and make the sport efficient better. Well, a lot of things. First of all, with uh, Gary Klein just elected to the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, Boy who you know, two great guys yeah. that are involved in it that have worked hard, and in conversations we've had with Gary, he says. This is just the beginning yeah. of what I believe the plan is going to be, but it's got to it's got to be tough. The circuit that you've been fishing for all these years yep. has been good for it. You've made a decent living, but oh, yeah. let's face it, you're one of the elite guys. You're the guy that has a lot of sponsors, and you know, and you can make a living off of it. It it isn't like professional golf. You know, professional golf. You go to the guy in 150th place, and he's still making a million dollars. Still making a lot. There's a lot of guys that are fishing the pro circuit that go day-to-day, hand-to-mouth and everything like that. And there's got to be something that these guys can make a living being a pro angler. Yeah, it's got to get better. And I I think it's one of the reasons you've seen 
you know, what's happened in the last few weeks, uh, you know, one of the reasons behind some of the objectives of Major League Fishing is to answer the questions you just said. You know, we, we want to grow the sport. We want to make it better, not just for us and our fans, but for the young pro that's 15 right now that in 10 years is going to be qualifying to fish the tour. We want to make it a better sport, you know, for, for that angler. So, you know, MLF uh, having the anglers having a say is the beginning of something that's going to be a universal trend in all the leagues. I think even FLW and even Bass, I think in the next year or two, you're going to see the leagues listening to the anglers you're going to see the leagues um, allowing the anglers to do the things we can never really do, which is control our own destiny, create retirement plans, health insurance, all these things that should have happened years ago. What just occurred in the industry, in the sport, is that it's a good thing. Um, so, so absolutely. I think MLF is beginning is the tip of the iceberg. I think you're going to see a sport in two, three, four, five years. You're going to see a sport that's better easier to get into, easier to follow, reaches more people, and at the end of the day, that whole field of anglers from 1st to 80th is going to be able to make a good living in the sport, and that's that's the ultimate dream. Tell me about the process that you went through. You were obviously sponsored by a lot of people. Going to your sponsors and saying, hey guys, this is what I want to do. How was that received? Yeah. Uh, you know, I can be honest with you, it was... Uh, um, interesting, and I didn't know what to expect. But what came through loud and clear from all the sponsors was that they support us in our decision, and their main goal, like our goal, is to grow the sport. So I, I think you know all the guys, the decision, whatever decision they made, and there wasn't a bad one. Guys decided MLF, guys decided Bass, guys decided FLW. It they made a decision that was best for them. And the sponsors are backing them uh, in their support of that organization and in really just trying to grow the sport. So that was great to know that sponsors are behind the anglers and their motivation is exactly the same as ours, which is to get more people watching and to get more people fishing. It's a great feeling to know the sponsors are doing the right thing. Uh, Sponsors have to also be somewhat excited being associated with you. And then getting the opportunity to have their pro- uh, their products showcased on the venue that it's going to be on, where yeah. when you get to the finals, you don't have to be wearing another jersey or yeah. fishing out of another boat yeah. or anything like that. This is a lot of things that the the regular viewer, the the regular angler doesn't doesn't know about. Yeah. You're going to still get the opportunity to bring those sponsors with you. When fishing on Championship Sunday, absolutely, yeah. On the the, the new um, you know MLF format, the new tour, the eight events, uh, it's you're going to get to showcase everything you use, whether it falls in line with MLF or not, and that's great. And and you know, I think you're seeing a change in the guard too on the other circuits. If you look at FLW, you know, really relaxing some of its uh, format uh, changes, and it, even Bass, you know, I think you're going to see, you know, more live coverage. You're going to see more ability for guys to highlight their products um you're going to see more of that and that's that's a great thing for the sport it it's what needs to happen to get more people watching well we happen to be at a dealer show here where a lot of the manufacturers have brought their pro staffers a lot of these pro staffers are kind of like on the cusp yeah they're 
they're ready to turn pro. They're looking for the opportunity. And now with the new league coming in, yeah. all of a sudden, FLW, BASS is opening up to them. Yes. And they're going to get their shot. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, again, that's one of the positives of uh, a new league is that there's more opportunities now, right now, coming in 2019, there's more opportunities than there's ever been before to fish at a pro- professional level. Uh, that's great. You know, that's that's what we all want. We want we want to maximize the opportunities for guys to make a living and guys to fish professionally. And you're going to see those opportunities next year and hopefully forever and ever in the future uh, just keep growing and growing. So, you know, every generation is different, but would you say that this is absolutely one of the best times to be a pro angler? It's an exciting time. I, I look back and I think there you can you can argue there were a lot of those and i think there was the ray scott era in the very beginning was very exciting it was the birth of the sport sure uh i think you know you saw you know the helen severe era the bob cobb era very exciting time of the sport uh brand new on tnn the way it was broadcasted uh i think the espn era that i was involved in i think you could say was historically one of the best times ever for pro fishing and reaching new heights articles in sports illustrated and espn the magazine anglers appearing on the late show the tonight show i mean those things were unbelievable and i think what we have right now in front of us is another one of those defining moments of the sport um you know if it happens the way we think it's going to happen if the anglers unite and band together uh there's a lot of good things that's going to happen in the next 5 10 15 20 years and where's i uh, Mike Iaconelli going to be in, in the next, let's say, 10 years or so. You give ever a thought of that? It's still going to be fishing? Uh, uh, you're going to be retired? I hope so. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I'm loving the idea that <laughs> you're going to be doing something besides fishing for your own money. Yeah. You know, that yeah, uh, you exactly. might be uh, a little more in the mold of a professional golfer yeah. when you can retire and enjoy some of the things. Do lure yeah. uh, manufacturing yeah. or host your own show like yeah. he is. Uh, become the Anthony Bourdain of, hey. of fishing and go around good the aspiration. world. aspiration. That's yeah. a good aspiration. Yeah, I, I think if you ask anybody, I think their, their, their answer would be, it's hard to guess for me. I'm so competitive. I'm 47. I've been doing it for over 20 years. I'm still so very competitive that I, do, I don't know if I could leave tournament fishing. But... Um, you know, the great thing about it is my goal is to stay in this industry. Um, and, you know, things change. And, you know, if, if in five years I'm doing a TV show and helping run the Ike Foundation and get kids involved in the sport, I think I'd be happy. Um, you know, so there's enough things going on in our business. There's enough things going on in the sport that if I just stay in this industry, I'm going to be a happy camper. All right. Mike Iaconelli. We're going to be following you through the rest of 2018 and into 2019 and cheering for you, all your fans, when it comes to Major League Fishing. Hope to be seeing you a lot on television and just wish you the best of luck. And thank you very much for letting us suck you in to a couple-of-minute interview and you spending the time with us talking about bass fishing that you did. No problem. I appreciate the time. It was great talking to you. And uh, if everybody checks out my new fishing show on Nat Geo Wild called Fish My City. I'd appreciate it. All right. Hey, that was Mike Iaconelli. Uh, We're live from uh, Sevierville, Tennessee. 
But we got to take a break right now. You're listening to Rod and Real Radio on AM540 or at rodandrealradio.com. Stay tuned. There's still a lot more to come after these messages. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong, but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ringed hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. The warm weather is here and our lakes and rivers are brimming. Just remember, if you love California and you love to boat, please wear your life jacket. And make sure everyone with you puts one on, too. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Rod and Reel Radio is now available as a podcast you can subscribe to on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app. Get notified as soon as new episodes are available, or go back and listen to our past shows. Browse through all of our archive shows at roddenreelradio.com slash archives, and click the subscribe button to get started listening now. Hey, Wendy and I, we want to welcome you back to Rod and Reel Radio. Welcome. If you've been living in the cave somewhere, maybe you're unaware of the bluefin tuna bite that we have off our Southern California coast. With the skippers that we had on last week, they're saying that they're seeing bluefin tuna off La Jolla, off the, off the Whistler, off Imperial Beach, off of uh, just uh, off the Coronado Islands. So it looks like the tuna is coming in, and from what has been reported, the biomass is as large as it's ever been. Well, it's we humongous. have a guy that's responsible for catching some of the largest tuna that are caught off our coast right now. No, he's not behind the rod and reel, but he is supplying the lure that people seem to be using to catch those fish. Let me introduce you all to Mr. Jim McCara from Carolina Lure Company out of Hiawassee, Georgia. Jim, welcome to the show. Hi, John. Thanks for having us back again. Oh, man, it is a pleasure having you back. And, Jim, I, I've i sent you some pictures of some of the fish that are being caught out here. Uh, can you believe the success that your lure is having catching fish out here in the Southern California area? Well, it's a real blessing, John, to see the lures working like they're designed and. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just, we're beside ourselves. We're so happy for you guys and uh, catching some really nice fish. You got some really good fishermen out there, and um, you know, we, we truthfully, though, we hear that pretty much from around the world. I mean, they're they're they're, they're hammering the tunas with them. You know, Jim, I know they're we've had you on before, but can you tell us a little bit about the Carolina Lure Company and how you came about with the idea of the Yummy Flyer? Because it's it's a little bit of an extraordinary bait. It isn't something that you just tie onto and throw into the water, um, there's a little bit more to it than just that. Yeah, that's a, that's a, yeah, I'll be glad to, John. And, um, yeah, I started with the yummy back in the nineties, you know, we've been in the lure business since 92. I just always had a gift to catch fish and always trying to find a way to catch a fish that won't bite. And 
I can remember, you know, off in North Carolina, you know, sometimes those yellow fins get so boat shy, so line shy, you just couldn't catch them on anything. We went down to ridiculous fluorocarbon leaders that were so light, I mean, you could barely catch fish and still couldn't get a bite. And I'd watch, I'd watch those tunas running those flying fish, and I just remember thinking, man, if I could ever make a lure that, that, that could imitate that, we'd really have something. And, and, you know, we just started working on it, and, uh, you know, and uh, just, you know, in the late 90s, we really hit some prototypes there, and, and me and my old good buddy, Captain Pete Zook, on the Charter Boat Energizer, we took out some of the first prototypes. John, they were laughing at us. What does Pete and Jim think they're going to do with a rubber fish and a kite? You know, maybe they think they're off Palm Beach. But you know what? We found out real quick that uh, people weren't laughing anymore. I mean, there's been tournaments have been won all over the world. And, I mean, it's just been a real good bait. And the secret seems to be is, is imitating the flying fish and getting that, getting that line and leader out of the water and, there's just something about a tuna spray dry. They just they're just compelled to chase that thing. And of course, we we spend a lot of time on materials and all that. But that's that's probably too much detail. But go ahead. You know, I I I've heard stories like the reason why the tuna are so finicky is that there's so much natural forage in the water. Some people think that, especially the bluefin, they have better eyesight than any of the other pelagics in in the water. Yet, when you take this lure, it and you know, it's it's no offense to you. It it looks like some type of a flying fish, but a flying fish is one thing. The yummy flyer is another. Uh, <laughs> uh, what, yes. what, I, what 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 makes what makes them so finicky and really love to go after this? Is it uh, is it as much the hunt as it is satisfying an appetite? Well, I, I, yeah, I think it's both. I, I believe that. Uh, you know, it's just like if you if they tuna have a strong prey drive to chase those flying fish, and we noticed right off the bat we would mark tuna that were hundreds of feet deep. I mean, you know, we're marking yellow fins, big eyes, blue fins over the years, and we'll, we'll mark them real deep and put up a kite and, and put out two two yummy flying fish under that kite and start working a pattern over them and watch those fish come up on the scope and hit that flying fish. It's a, I don't know how they can see it, John. It, it's just an amazing thing that the. But but they see those flying fish. They love to chase them. They love to eat them. They'll even hit. He'll even hit flying fish in waters where there's not. Uh, I mean, they'll hit the yummy flying fish in cold water where there's not even any other flying fish. I mean, we've seen it in the canyons up off the northeast coast, and I've even heard some people down in uh, in Europe, neck of the woods, in real green water, uh, catching some really nice tunas on on the yummies. But it's it's a combination of both. I mean, it's just an amazing thing. It's like we just were blessed and hit the right thing at the right time and the right action and. Uh, you know, we've got many different models and styles that cover everything you can. And they're all, of course, made here in the United States here by Americans. And, um, you know, we're proud of that and we're proud of our lures. But we're always we're always working to get better, always always innovating. We're an innovative company. And for us, it's really it's about the lifestyle, John, you know. And, and it's just one of, those, one of those strange things that you put up a yummy under a kite when they will not hit anything else. They'll absolutely hit a yummy flying fish. It's amazing. What, what, what's not only incredible, Jim, is the fact that, in some of the film that I've seen and some of the actual trips that I've been where I've actually witnessed it, that the fish actually come out of the water and pick up the yummy flyer, or, you know, if you're watching Flying Fish too, it's not when it's in the water, it's actually when it's airborne, and those fish come out of the water to hit that yummy flyer. It is, it is absolutely one of the most adrenaline rush, biggest adrenaline rushes, I think you can have even even more than a, a largemouth bass hitting a topwater or a frog. Absolutely. I, I've got to second that one, John, because it is so exciting. I mean, even a small tuna hitting it are exciting, but 
You know, I mean, when you see a 600-pound bluefin or, or, you know, a 200-pound yellowfin or something, I mean, these tunes, like you said, they, they'll, I've seen them, they'll catch them six feet in the air, actually. Uh, it's just an amazing thing to watch these tunas feed and, and, and the way they hit it with wild abandon. And, you know, sometimes you've got more than one tuna, you know, fighting over this, this yummy flying fish. And it's just, you said it, it's an exciting way to fish. Our charter boats love it on the East Coast. I'm sure they're, they're loving it out there, too. I'm hearing the same thing because of the – it's such a crowd pleaser – you know, just to watch the strikes, even if he misses the lure, you know, another one will come along sooner or later. But, but even if they miss it, it's just so exciting. I mean, it's, it's just amazing to see these huge fish, just, just like you said, they're grabbing it in the air, exploding on the surface. And, wow, there's just nothing like it. Well, Jim, not only uh, is the excitement of seeing it happen, but also it's the anticipation because we can see uh, from the reports we're getting back from the boats that, you know, there's a schooling fish out there that are in the 30 to the the 60-pound range, and they're hitting mm-hmm. fly lining and flat falls, and there are fish in the 60 to 100-pound range, and, and they're hitting fly lining and flat falls. But all of a sudden, when you start talking about triple-digit yeah. fish, when you talk about cows over 200 pounds, these yeah. are fish that you would never think are projecting themselves and catapulting themselves out of the water to hit the yummy flyer that in some cases could be as high as six feet out of the water. Oh, the absolutely. big fish are yeah. coming off your lure. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing to, to see this, and you're absolutely right. And one thing we see, now this is worldwide, Atlantic, Pacific, you know, different continents, that fishermen always report back that the class of fish that are being caught on the yummy flying fish are much bigger than the class of fish caught on other methods. I mean, it absolutely, it just fools the, the, the wisest, you know, largest fish in the schools, and they just absolutely, they, they, they run this thing down and hit it. It's, all, it's very similar to, like, if you've ever been around, like, a Labrador retriever, and you know how they have that prey drive to, to chase a ball and retrieve it. I mean, it's like tuna have that same drive to chase a flying fish, and I think that's, that's part of the mystery also. Wendy? Um, yeah, hey, Jim, this is Wendy, and Hi, I'm Wendy. wondering... Hi, I'm wondering. Um, so out here in California, we we used um, we use uh, the different kites that are out here. Is there a particular kite that you recommend for your yummy flyers? And well, all the, yeah, uh, all the all, all the kites will work that we that we've ever tried. All the fishing kites will work. We really like the Kitty Hawk kite. You know, Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, where the White Wright Brothers flew. We're not affiliated with that company at all. They're an independent company up there. Uh, KittyHawkKites.com. Their their kites are, are much less expensive. They're parafoils, and that's what the Carolina fleet. We really hit on that. We started using regular kites, and then guys figured out you can fly that parafoil, and you can pull them pretty fast. You can pull these yummies up to around. You know, guys are pulling them as high as ten knots. Uh, wow. And uh, you know, different rigging styles and all that. But yeah, just about any fishing kind of work. And the trick to all this, if anybody's at home is apprehensive, get you a kite, go away from the fleet somewhere, learn how to fly the kite. Take you 15, 20 minutes, maybe a little longer. I recommend you practice different angles, you know, to the wind and the current and all, just so you understand how it works. And and then start, you know, adding your lures to the clips. And and then, you know, if you get offshore where there's a fleet, work into that the pattern, whatever the fleet's doing. So Wendy, go on. And then, you know, I don't know if you know, but out here we have a height requirement, so we can only fly them, fly the kites only so high. In other areas that fish your yummy flyers, do they have that restriction also? You know? Not that I've ever heard of. What's your height requirment? Oh, okay. oh gosh, I don't even remember what it is. Um, Jim, but, yeah, welcome to the that. state of California. We're in California, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> <We're good. laughs> 
Well. <laughs> hey, Jim, uh, in the short amount of time that we have left here, can you tell us, the Yummy Flyer is just that one, Laura. There are a variety of different types of Yummy Flyers, and could you yeah. uh, please go over what those types are and what what yeah. was your intention in aiming those lures to do? Absolutely. So, so, so uh, Yummy, Y-U-M-M-E-E, it's our trademark, and under that trademark we have a variety of different flying fish designs. The original 9-inch still still a top seller. It's amazing how well we hit that design. We came out with two seven-inch models that have two different wing styles. Um, in 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 you know one surface cruises better. It's called the Delta Wing. The other one has a little more radical wing set. And what you start seeing in the different classes of flying fish is a little bit different action and a little different size for the prey. And sometimes you know, I mean, it's hard to keep a kite up when there's little wind. And so those lighter baits, those seven eight-inch baits, work a little better. Um, the seven-inch Delta, especially, and the uh, new eight-inch Super Yummy Troll from a rod tip, amazingly well. They're they're catching they're catching big tunas on them also, and um, you know a lot of guys are fishing them right off the rod tips. And then of course there's a there's a nine-inch subsurface model that's just designed to be pulled deep, like on a with, a, with you know like on a Z-wing or something. While you're kite fishing, good, another good method. A lot of people don't talk about, but it catches a lot of fish. And then of course we've got a little four-inch mini flyers, um, which is not really a kite bait. It's more of a cast to Dorado uh, type of lure or a rig in a daisy chain. Well, you will rig four or five of those in them so that they jump and skip and hop, and it's one of the hottest rigs. If you look, if you look on our websites, uh, either yummylures.com, which is under, under maintenance right now, don't go there tonight, but carolinalures.com, you'll see what we call like the ultimate ballyhoo rig and some of these daisy chains, very effective. And guys in South, uh, uh, Southern California are actually pulling some of those daisy chains and doing well from what they're telling me. Right. Now, uh Jim, uh, I have not been on your site lately, so uh, you, you know there may be no answer to this question. But are you considering, or is there a pre-rigged yummy flyer that Carolina Lures is selling right now? Oh, absolutely, yes, sir. There's a variety of. Uh, if you go to the to the page, John, there, and you you hit you know rigged, and then it's going to be a pull-down menu. And it'll give you an option uh, for just what be the standard nine-aught hook for like school tunas, and there's a heavy J hook option. And then there's what we call the cow rig, which actually originated there in Southern California with the uh, with uh, with uh, Justin Fleck and them on the Excel, and uh, you know catching those big yellow fins, you know, almost what 2001, 2002 back then, and uh, you know that's all selling well. It's all you can buy it pre-rigged. It's all it's all pre-rigged. You know we're a fishing family. Not all that rigging is done by our family members. And look, we understand the difference, but you know that cramping it right is the difference between putting one in a box or or uh, you know the heartbreak of defeat. We've been there. So, you know, we're, we're paying, paying a lot of attention to our rigging. So, Right. And, Jim, just a, a, a quick tip or a recommendation before we have to let you go. Uh, do you like uh, the Yummy Flyer rigged with a treble hook, or do you like it rigged with a double hook, or is there any difference at all? Well, honestly, I mean, I, I like them all the ways. I don't mean to caveat on you. The expert fishermen around the world, nobody agrees on that. I, I can't believe that there's no agreement on that. But, yeah, I like the, I like the treble hook stinger back there. If they're short striking and they're knocking them in the air, um, but, you know, when they're engulfing them, it's hard to beat that heavy J hook. You know, when that 200, 300-pound bluefin swallows one, I mean, he's hooked. And uh, But a lot of guys like two J hooks back-to-back. I mean, it's, it's, it, there's a lot of disagreement on that, and they all work. <laughs> it's amazingly. And a part of that is, is having the right yummy, you know, that USA plastic that we make. It's, uh, it's just got that right feel, so they'll, they'll hit it and hang on to it, and, and really tr- they really try and eat that bait. Um, you right. know, we've got other lures that we've made that are hard, and they, don't, they hit them and they let them go. And these, they hit them and eat them. Well, Jim, uh, I, again, 
Uh, yummy flyers are available at a lot of selected dealers here in Southern California. Yeah. Uh, dealers, including ourselves, were pre-rigging. I know there's one fellow out there right now <clears throat> that is selling a rigged yummy flyer for upwards of $60. He can't keep them in stock. But if we <laughs> want to find out just all about yummy flyers, if we're not familiar with them or we're living in an area where we can't get them, Again, give me your site where we can go and find out more about the product. Yeah, go to Carolina Lures, like North Carolina, carolinalures.com. has has tremendous, there's videos on there, our Facebook page, carolinalures.com on Facebook. Our YouTube page under Carolina Lures has some rigging videos and, and stuff like that. And, um, you know, people can always call. You know, the number is 706-851-9010. You guys can give us a call. Leave a message. I'll call you back. I don't have a secretary. I haven't had one since '92. So um, everybody wanted to talk to me anyway, John. So why have what one? A, right? It is such a, a great benefit to be able to call the company and talk to the guy that made the lure and probably has a pretty good idea of uh, you know how it works. And he might even have a few yes. tips on how to tweak it out a little bit. Oh, absolutely. I love to do that, John. You know, like I said, this, we're a lifestyle company. We, we want people to, to catch fish, to have fun, family entertainment. I mean, this is good stuff. A lot of good lessons learned out there. We want to help, help people be a success. So, you know, there's no question. It's, it's a dumb question. Uh, if you have a question, call us. Send us an email. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to help you be successful out there. And, uh, you know, it's all about having fun. You know what I mean? You got it. Well, Jim, I can't thank you enough for taking some of your Sunday to be with us. I know you're busy all week long, but Sunday is a particularly busy day for you. And thanks for making some time for us to be with you. Well, thank you so much, John. Thanks for having us back. I know I'll be in touch with you. And, hey, God bless you guys and all the listeners out there. Hey, good fishing. All right. Hey, that was Jim McCara from Carolina Lure Companies. They are the makers of the Yummy Flyers. Well, that's it for tonight, everyone. Thank you for listening. Appreciate you always stopping by and saying hello to us. So on uh, behalf of Otto and the AM540 Studios, Ben Harvey, our San Diego producer, and always in memory of Big Tuna Bill and Eddie McEwen, and also especially thank you, Mr. Paul Leader from El Cajon Ford. We wish you all a good night. But you know what? you got to go out there and get them because someone's catching your fish. They're getting away. Good night, everyone. See you next Sunday. Oh.